Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Matt McCarthy began his comedy career as the Fordham Ram mascot, but quickly carved out a spot for himself in New York City's stand-up scene, scoring TV credits with Comedy Central on both Live at Gotham and John Oliver's New York stand-up show. You may recognize Matt from his previous sketch comedy work on Conan, or from his many TV commercials, including a long-running stint as The Cable Guy, one up by Verizon Fios, and more recently in national campaigns for Progressive and Planet Fitness. He's also performed as recurring characters on both Adam Ruins Everything and Corporate. For a couple of years, McCarthy combined his comedy and wrestling fandom to write plot lines for the WWE. But it's his personal and professional relationship with Pete Holmes that has paid lasting dividends. From their early DIY videos that got them on TV during the Super Bowl to a talk show on TBS, they're now reunited in 2022 on How We Roll, the new CBS sitcom based on the real life of professional bowler Tom Smallwood. Matt joined me over Zoom to talk about his life and career with plenty of funny stories about TV advertising, professional wrestling, and carving out a separate niche for himself on TikTok as the ultimate film collector. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Matt McCarthy, last things first, no relation, but uh, no great, relation. To, great to book you on my podcast, nevertheless. I remember I was at a party once, and the, which is so unusual for me because I don't leave the house. Um, the uh, Who was it? Oh, it, was, it was Mark Maron introduced me to someone as Sean McCarthy, and I was like, <laughs> He's like, well, he's so close. <laughs> he's so close. Uh, we're all we're all kindred spirits. That's right. Yeah. Obviously, I should congratulate you on your booking of a recurring role on the new CBS sitcom How We Roll. So, congratulations Thank on you. that. Does this mean that your professional relationship with Pete Holmes is actually longer than your personal relationship with your wife, Glennis? You know, it's funny. They, uh, uh, yeah, I think it might be because it was like one week in July of 2007 was, I remember saying to our friend uh, Katina, I remember saying Katina because I was like, I was like trying to meet somebody. Um, Put yourself out there. Yeah, and I, and I remember specifically saying, you know what, I'm just going to stop trying. I'm just going to sit on the bench until coach puts me in. I remember saying <laughs> it like, I don't even watch sports. I don't know why I said it like that. And then that afternoon, we, I, we were walking around somewhere in the East Village, and we ran into Pete, and Pete was saying um, that he was getting a divorce and was looking for an apartment and I was like at that point I was living way out in Queens with a couple of guys that I went to school with and I needed I was like if I'm going to be doing 
like comedy seriously i'm like i need to be close to manhattan because it's just it's taking way too long to get in and out of town and so i was like i'm looking to move and so then we but that was also then so then it was like a day or two later katina told me that glennis had a crush on me um so if if my memory is correct pete and i would have already shot the sears diehard battery commercials um maybe i think the timing is right because i because i'm trying to because i was still working my day job when glennis and i started dating and it was when we finally got paid for the the battery commercials that i quit my day job and was like okay i'll I'll just try to like make make ends meet by like doing commercials, which is insane. <laughs> it shows how little I knew about anything. But I mean, uh, it worked out tremendously. No, I... but then what? That's what's crazy. It's like when I started working, like I I was booking like a commercial a month, and it was like, and it, and it's so funny. I because then when I was living with Pete, I remember telling him like, oh, I just booked this other commercial. And him's going, you know, this is crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can I can picture and hear Pete saying it. Right. <laughs> and it was. I remember going like going to the the the, the agency to, like I don't know, say hi or pick up a check or, or something. And meeting it's the only time I met like one of like the head dudes like whose last name is part of, you know, the name of the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, I'm Matt McCarthy. And he goes, oh, you're creating quite a commotion around here. <laughs> Why, thank you, Mr. Ogilvy. Like every, every so often, <laughs> I always hear somebody screaming, Matt McCarthy booked another commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, as it turns out, I also moved to New York City in the summer of 2007. And so the first time I remember seeing you and it's not just because we share a last name, but I, but I had a vivid memory of the first time I ever saw you. You were holding court in the, on the second floor of Mo Pitkins. You had a show there. there oh, was a, at there Max. Was a, yeah, there was a pulpit, and you had this big book. And oh, you were, the book of Max. Yeah. And you were holding court, and I was like, what is going on here? This guy is a madman, but he has my last name. I must know more. That was me. Yeah, the Max. We did that on Wednesdays in what was the Sadie's Lounge? Was that the name of the the little room in Mo Pickens? I think it might have been. What was the 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 premise of Max? Um, I mean, it was just a stand up show, but I decided like I wanted to do like some sort of recurring, like like just some refillable bit. I just wanted to do something where the 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 structure was the same each week but i improvised something different each time so i went to um i think i went to um the strand bookstore and was like looking i was just looking for a big huge cheap book and that's what i said to the guy i was like do you have any like huge just like old looking books like that are cheap and he brought me to like some sub 
like some basement or so, some somewhere I'd never been in the bookstore. <laughs> and it was just all these like reference books. Um, and I picked out one for like a dollar or two. And it was so fucking heavy. I mean, this book was like enormous. And, um, and then I would go up there on stage at the end of the show with, you know, you know, uh, a reading from the book of Max, you know, chapter 18, <laughs> verse seven. And, oh, Max walked along the desert road and saw a woman with starving children. And she said, oh, Max, please help me. My children cannot eat. We cannot afford bread. And then Max said, I have turned your children into bread. And then the woman, oh, and then the woman ate her children and she was satiated. A reading from the book of Max, just like that type of shit. Um, but if you were looking at the book itself, it was probably. But I, I think it was like, like definitions of medical terms or something I like that. I believe it, it was some sort of uh, accounting book. It was like figures about like some, you know, fiduciary budget, <laughs> like in like New York or so it was some it was numbers it was just all like accounting jargon about okay. some some history that was you know some some new york city thing or whatever i don't know so you were old in court there at mo pitkins i re- i i distinctly remember at rafifi i don't know if it was the first time Orrin had done this but i i distinctly remember seeing Orrin brimmer showcase a short film he had done there uh-huh. and then something happened and a few months later you he and pete were working together and doing like batman shorts and things like that how did front page films how did the three of you coalesce that started um i mean really that started with me and pete doing that a car battery commercial um because it was like a series of you know it, it, it was it was supposed to be a campaign um and it was the first job either of us had ever booked it was the first time either of us had ever been to la you know they flew us out to la um and we were having because like we knew each other from stand-up but like we never you know i i, I I think this guy's funny. He thinks I'm funny. We were friendly, but that was the first real time we'd ever spent together. And doing those spots were very, cause it was like, it was a whole weekend of shit. Like we were doing, we did, uh, on air commercials. We did, uh, radio spots. We did like print photographs. I mean, it was insane. Um, and and then it went and then they did nothing with it like it ran my mother saw it once on the home and garden network like 15 years ago when the home and garden network actually had gardening shows and it wasn't right. just we're gonna flip this house for a million dollars are they gonna buy this you know <laughs> right that's the, the part of the show where we take a sledgehammer to the wall um back when the c- cable tv networks were more right more defined yes and um we were like, wow, we work really well together. And then that chance meeting of I'm looking for an apartment. I'm looking for an apartment. It's so strange to see the landscape of like how easy it is to produce content 
now and to think about in 2007 because when and we we met Oren through just like you know that group of comedians who were you know bouncing around in the 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 east village at the time um and Oren was making videos like of his own he i think the first thing i ever worked with Oren on was uh brandy and sarah had a uh brandy barber and uh, sarah Sarah joe Locko had their show the kissing booth and we shot a video for like a st patrick's day type thing and so we knew Oren like did this type of stuff um and it's so crazy to think of a time when it's like not everybody had you know a production studio on their phone <laughs> like to know a guy who had a camera and lights and editing equipment on his computer and knew how to use it um was like it was it's like we found a unicorn um so that very quickly Pete and I's friendship went from you used to have a lot of conversations about god wouldn't this be a funny video wouldn't it be funny if Mm-hmm. And then never do it. <laughs> um, right, because and, the technological landscape was so different. Right. It's like, how do you do 15 that? years ago. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if there was a show about this? You know, it's a, like I was just at a used bookstore and I was looking at like the film production books. And I'm like, I'm like, man, these are not just out of date. Like these are from a, 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 the Stone Age now looking at because like one book from like 1999 was like the last chapter was like, seven pages about the internet it was like have you ever and it was it was freaky it was like like you ever listen to the speech jim carrey gives at the end of cable guy like at the time that was like oh he's crazy but now you listen to that speech and it's like yeah not just he was right it was like oh there was a time when you couldn't play video games with somebody in vietnam you know it was just like right so uh the fact that we i think the first thing we did was one of pete's ideas and it was like oh Oren can shoot it all and then we found well we like working with him and he's got a good sensibility and he knows how to cut something together um and then it was like why don't we do this all the time and it was also like you know because college humor was gaining traction like funny or die didn't even exist yet right it's so crazy and it's so crazy how quickly like fuck man what was the other one super deluxe right super deluxe was the was the one that uh warner or not warner media but turner yeah that was funded by turner for a year and and a half two years Yeah, that came and went so quickly between Um, 06 and 08 yeah so it was like you know there's room to do new exciting things on the internet and so we started shooting our own stuff and then the way the batman stuff came up was um we had an idea that we were like like Oren knows all the tricks but at a certain point like you got to spend some money to make something look good like so like pete had the idea for the batman video the first one and you know just goofing on you know Every time Gordon turns around, he turns back and Batman's gone. So it's like the premise, the game is he catches him, 
Like, what were you about to sneak off? Also, just making fun of Batman has become a new national pastime. But like in the early aughts, that was not anything that was done. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how like if you scroll through TikTok, every so often you get some motherfucker wearing a Batman mask doing the voice that Pete did. It's it's is it actually his voice like the lip sync because that's a big tip TikTok that that happens too sometimes but it's just like they're like doing you know mm-hmm. something in the style of uh you know Batman talks like this now you know <laughs> right. just like that shit well you know not all of your videos though because I'm remembering another early series was just like a doctor patient. Right. Anything that we could do on our own on the cheap, you know, we we would just shoot it. Like the Batman thing was like, we're like, where the fuck are we going to get a Batman suit? And then somebody had the idea of like, well, why don't we pitch it to College Humor? Because they know us and we know them. And if they like the idea, have them pay for it. And we can shoot it at night, have like a small crew, have like some better lights, have a Batman costume that looks good. But like anything like the doctor sketches, I mean, those were shot in just like a little writing office that had been handed down through different comedians in Chelsea for like, (laughs) I don't even know where it started, but like, like Kroll was in there at one point. He was gone before I came in. When I came in that office and it's just a place to be during the day, either between auditions or before gigs. You know, instead of like getting on the fucking subway and going all the way back to fucking Brooklyn and then getting back on the train and coming all the way back. Right. So when I came in that office, it was like it was me, Pete, Mulaney, uh, Baron, and then Mulaney started working at SNL, and then God, who came in after that? Um I don't even remember. I, I, at one point, it was Jeselnik was in that office too. Um, I feel like I feel like Tisdale took my desk when I moved out to LA. I remember him texting me, being like, "Because we moved like right after, like literally the day after Hurricane Sandy hit, mm-hmm. so it was like there was no power in the building." And so I was like trying to like clean out that office. Um, and I left a bunch of shit. I remember Tisdale texting me. He's like, hey, there's a bunch of uh, <laughs> New York posts here. Because if, if there was some ridiculous cover of the New York Post, I would hold on to it. Right. Cause and I was like, it's always good fodder for something. Well, any t- there, there was just a, there was every day it felt like, you know, Michael Jackson was doing something. He was dangling the baby over the railing or he was walking around with the, the kid with the blanket on its head or like all this shit. And I would just hold on to it. And I remember Tisdale being like, what do you want me to do with these? I was like, oh, you can box them up and ship them to me if you want. I'm a big collector. And he was like, yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to do that. And I was like, oh, you're just waiting for me to say you can throw them away. You can throw them away. And he goes, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> You know, even even the the idea of a shared comedy writing enclave, even that is a is a marker of the way things used to be. Because 
nowadays, or I don't know what you do now because of the pandemic, but that was before we work and all of these Mm -hmm. professional co-working environments happened. Like I remember when I interviewed Quinta Brunson, who's now the star creator of Abbott elementary. But when I interviewed her, I met her. She had a a good show, right? She had, she had this little cubby through WeWork where we met and did the podcast. So, Oh my God. One of the things you mentioned too, though, about how much, just how much things have changed in the landscape for people making their own comedy videos is that I guess the, the biggest thing that happened for the three of you guys was back in the day, Doritos was doing con- user-generated contest mm. footage to make your own Super Bowl commercial. And you guys didn't win, but you did air your front page films Doritos ad in the pregame. What was crazy is uh, the dudes who won the like like the number one Super Bowl that year were like in our little group. Like they actually won the fucking thing. They won like the million dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and uh it was so funny too because they 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 tr- I don't remember where they were from, like Ohio or something, and um and everybody else was from LA say that there was like five finalists mm-hmm. they, they don't do this anymore uh, apparently right, right. it's like, another it's another measure of how much things have changed right but like it used to be a contest like make your own super bowl commercial doritos and this was like the second year they had done it and um say there was like five finalists we were from new york the dudes who won were from like ohio and then the other three were all from la so I remember the dudes from Ohio, like that was like their angle that they're like, we're the outsiders. Everybody else is from like the, the entertainment industry. Um, And then they, (laughs) they were the most like, like if you ever deal with like Hollywood bullshit, they were the most Hollywood bullshit like corporate speak of anyone mm-hmm. um like I, i'll never forget the one dude they were there was like a set of brothers um and i remember the one dude was like uh he's like you know uh the way that the the the, the gimmick works with the the super bowl commercials this is how they determine What's the, you know, you know, how like the next day, all of a sudden USA Today is like the ad meter. This is the number one commercial of the Super Bowl. It's very similar to like the way they do the Nielsen ratings, which is like they're just it's it's an estimate and they're just guessing. They're like, well, this is an average group of TV viewers. This is your average American family. Uh, So whatever they're watching probably means this is what everyone's watching. Right. Which is insane to me. Um, I don't know if how they used to do the radio ratings. I don't know if this is how they still do it. But like 20 years ago, we got like picked to be like, you know, because we were all like 19 or 20. And um, uh, the way that they did the radio ratings then 
was uh, they send you like a piece of paper and it's just based on the honor system. Just write down what you listen to at what time. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you're going to be shitting me. And they're like, yeah. And then we'll send you 50 bucks or whatever. Um, so the way that the ad meter works is they give people like this, this was the way it was explained to me. They give you like a little box with a dial. And if you're enjoying a commercial, you turn the dial, say it goes from like one to 10. And if you turn it all the way up to 10, you know, that's, you know, uh, the best. And this dude was like these outsiders from Ohio are the ones like explaining the inner workings of the commercial business to me and how they're going to like <laughs> win this, this contest. And right. he's like, and I'll never forget. He says, um, he goes, you know, uh, Violence does very well. Slapstick does very well. Crotch shots do very well. I have numbers. And the way he said that, and if you watch their ad, it's like immediately a dude gets hit in the balls with something, like a thing gets smashed. um, And and the budget that they had for like, and this goes for everybody, because like the other commercials were like gorgeous and everybody was just like, you know, in you know like we were we were the ones that made a commercial for nothing we shot it one morning in the conference room in the conference room at college humor we were just like (laughs) can we shoot something in your conference room Mm -hmm. you know real quick and the, (laughs) the, the most money we spent was just on the fake label of the 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 and that was just you know a photoshop and then going to kinko's printed out on this fake bag of doritos um, and so then, yeah, and then we got into the finals and we got to go to the Super Bowl. I don't remember who played because, again, like I said, I'm not a sports guy, but it was the Super Bowl where Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band was the halftime show. Mm-hmm. So that was awesome. Um, oh, right, because you were there. Yeah, we went. Yeah. And then the like, it was like it was like a vote thing. So like mm-hmm. you like you get you had to have people vote for you. And I think that somebody, I, I, I think the dudes who won, they had already been maybe the year before, or maybe somebody from LA had been the year before. It was like, people were like, no, we like, they were determined to win this fucking thing. Um, but yeah, it was funny because it was like, if anybody felt like the outsiders, it was us because our commercial like looked the crappiest, you know, because everybody else is like, oh yeah, we had a red kit. Like, I, I didn't know what this they're like yeah we use a red like whatever this this crazy expensive like the top of the line digital camera at the time mm-hmm. i just remember hearing everyone saying oh, yeah we shoot it on a red we do that but like the content was i was like you know what ours doesn't look the best but ours is the funniest everyone else's was kind of you know i don't know it's just it was it was just they weren't funny um and again, that was the other thing. When we went, we were like, the first thing we thought was like, holy shit, we get to go to the Super Bowl. They're going to put us in a hotel room. Let's think of videos to make set in a hotel room. Like we were just constantly, because like, I remember specifically somebody, like w- one of the other video submissions, one of the other contestants was like, um, we're going to be uh, drinking in the, uh, in the lobby or there's going to be this party or what do you like? And we're like, oh, we're going to be shooting in our hotel room. Like we came up with a bunch of sketch ideas to shoot. Um, right. Use it as location. 
Yeah, we were like, great, free, free location. Let's just come up. And that would the hotels are some of my favorites. Front page film videos we ever did, because um, that was like that was the most us because I never. When we would write things up beforehand, lots of times, you know, it's like, okay, this is how we'll shoot it and blah, blah, blah. But. For me, what was most exciting, what I loved, where I feel like the three of us thrived on was coming up with stuff in the moment. Just like, here's a hotel room. And it's like, okay, what's the premise? All right. Pete's the bellhop. I'm the the guy staying in the hotel room. What can we do? We'll do something with the mini bar. Do something with the the shower. Um, Do something with the wake-up call. Uh, do something with there was like a phone next to the toilet and we're like oh my god you've just gifted us another one hmm. do like a room service thing do this that you know changing the sheet all this stuff and it was like coming up with these things in the moment and then very quickly I just loved that run and gun like we're just doing it on the fly feeling and like Oren's like okay I'll set it up set the camera up here and now we'll, I'll be over here to shoot Pete Pete's coverage and then Matt's coverage. And then ah, it was just, uh, and like just the improvising together. Did you have a lot of improv training or background yourself? I mean, I took three levels at UCB, but mm-hmm. um, honestly, I, it, there, there was one, uh, our first, my level 101 was with John Daly, who's so goddamn funny. But he was um, he was dealing with... So I never understood what was going on. There was something going on with his apartment and his apartment building. And it took up a lot of his time. And so he had to, like, miss teaching a bunch of classes. So, which wound up being... Not that John wasn't a good teacher. What I mean to say is it wound up being beneficial because I got to have like a bunch of different instructors for that level 101 class. And because typically like once you did 201, I think Spo taught my 201. Um, Shannon O'Neill. Shannon O'Neill. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And which was a different experience of having one instructor the whole class. And then by level 301, uh, it was like, I forget his name, but he was like, I don't think he does improv anymore. And this was, he was like, just on fumes at this point. He was like, he was so over it. He was so over improv and teaching. And the only time he would get excited was when he talked about online poker and he was like, I actually, I earned enough on online poker that I can pay all my bills this month. Like I would show, we would show up to class and he would be in the room just like on the windowsill asleep. And he'd be like, he'd be like, all right, two people go up. And I was like, by that point I was like, I was like, ah, fuck, I wasted my money on this one. That also sounds very late 2000s. I made a lot of time oh, money on online right? poker. Yeah. But I mean, I never, I, I just wanted to be a better performer. Uh, I never had the intention of being like on a house team or a, a, a Herald team or whatever they're called. 
Um, I just wanted to be better. Um, and it, the 201 class was, was beneficial, but honestly, after the 101, I was just like, oh, I, I understand how this works. Like, I don't, I don't see where, what more they could teach me at this point. Um, and, and like specifically, I remember Owen Burke, uh, substituted one week and I was like, oh, I get like hit the way he and like taught the class made all the sense in the world to me. Cause like sometimes a, an improv instructor will let a bad scene keep going and then discuss it afterwards about what wasn't working. Owen would just stop the scene. He would just get up and be like, no. And here's why, you know, and just like learning that stuff of like, you know, about like what, what yes and really means or like if that then what it's like you've established this you're you're afraid of this thing so why would you suddenly not be afraid you know and then and i forget the girl's name i don't think she continued with acting or maybe she did but i don't i, I never I, I would recognize her if i saw her but she's not as far as i she never became part of ucb and stuff but her and i did this incredible scene just about um uh, running a lemonade stand in our front yard. We were like a husband and a wife. And to the point where it was like, it was like one of the best. Scenes. And it was just from how simple and straightforward uh, he explained things, you know? Um, so that, that was the extent of my improv. Like I, I was on like a practice team and we performed and stuff, but I always used it more, in stand-up and particularly in commercials and commercial auditions because very quickly I realized um, like with commercials they they have an idea of what they want you know but they are more than willing and encouraging of actors to make it better um and it and it actually it's funny that we started talking about the book of max because it's that's kind of the commercials that work well i have found for me are like that premise where there's there's a simple structure but there's room to explore inside of it you know there's room to improvise that's probably one why owen burke would rise to become one of the top people at both funny or die as well as gary sanchez which was right the production company that Adam McKay and Will Ferrell had. And then you also started to book more and more national TV ad campaigns. Like yeah, yeah. the Verizon, you were the cable guy in the Verizon ad for years. I love, yeah. What I love about the, like the process of doing like, you know, on camera stuff, like commercials in particular, because you have so you have such a short amount of time to tell the story. And like with with the with the sitcom with the multicam, we kind of don't know when we're about to move on. And 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 Pete is very keen on this. Like Pete's like me. Pete wants to do do it different every time, you know, or like try a different joke, or like fuck around in the scene, or like improvise, or like maybe we can find something else. But it's also it's like you got to do it the way it's written. And we, you kind of, you kind of waiting for like, 
when's the last one we're going to do it? Me and Peter are always like, I wish we knew when, when it was going to be the last one so that we could actually like improvise and maybe find something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with commercials, because also with the multicam, it's about like, okay, we're done. We're moving on, moving on with a commercial. You're there all fucking day for the fucking eight hours. And there's nothing but opportunities to fuck around and try it a different way. So how long did it take to figure out who hand model John John was in the recent progressive ads? Because I know, I feel like I know who John John is just from your goofy face and your hands. Right. Um, You know, what's wild about that. We shot that the day before the NBA shut down in March, 2020. Okay. Um, and that was, that was the last time I was around people for, and we wound up, me, Glennis and I wound up doing a commercial in summer 2020, which was actually wild because that was just going on that audition together. No, I guess we shot the audition here when we went to the fitting. Okay. That was the first time we had left the house and we like had to find, I think Jack's favorite babysitter came and stayed with him and, you know, masks on and all that shit. Um, but when we got into the car and we were driving to the, the fitting, we were like, oh my God, this is the first time we've not had our son on top of us in uh, like six or seven months at this point. Like mm-hmm. it was what just being in the car and it being quiet was like wild just right during a during a pandemic and lockdown is a different experience god dude which i cannot uh identify with but i can empathize yeah but the progressive thing was um and it's so funny going on the audition and the callback it was you know i remember the casting person was they were People are still doing like the shaking hands with their elbows thing. <laughs> Remember that bullshit? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did it in the uh, audition and in the callback of like, you know, once I knew what the, the voice sounded like, I'm just like, it's like, oh, you, your wayward pinky is grotesque. I'm just <laughs> like, I don't know if the guy was supposed to be French or German, mm-hmm. but, and Definitely I don't know European. if. Yeah, I don't know if the voice I did was French or German, <laughs> but it was just like, I think the guy was supposed to be French, and I was just like, no, I'm going to talk like this, you know, hello. You know, that it's might just be Scandinavian, like, yeah. Right, know. just just a nondescript, just, you know, European, just some, <laughs> whatever that, you know, ugly American, like, stereotype of like, I'm a rich European, oh, sorry, was I driving on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> <laughs> Thought I was in Europe, sorry, Gramps. <laughs> And then you're also in a Super Bowl ad. You were in a Super Bowl ad this year with Planet Fitness. So the ad, right. the, the ad hits just keep coming. Right. I was in, I guess I was in the, I was in the, like the teaser. I was in an ad for the ad. <laughs> they wouldn't even explain what it was. I just knew it was a Planet Fitness commercial, but it was like, it was so shady, not shady, but it was just, they were being so secretive. Um, that's like how there was, yeah, that's how insane the Super Bowl has become for the advertising business. Is oh, yeah. They have teasers for the ads. Right. It's like, it's an ad. Right. What? So I was in the, the teaser for the Super Bowl commercial. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no call sheet. Like, low fit, like, you just got a time, but there was no, like, rundown of, like, everybody that's working on the production, which is the first time that's ever happened to me. And I was like, at first I was like, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be a fucking nightmare. This is going to be a fly-by-night. Like, they didn't even send out a call sheet. Uh, but then I came to find out it was because they were being super secret about it. Because once I got, because I got there later than everyone, I because I'm just playing the dude who's walking his dog and picks up the dog shit. Whereas the other dudes who played um, the paparazzi had been there a, a little earlier. And so by the time I showed up, they're like, uh, they're like, oh, Dennis Rodman's here and Lindsay Lohan and, and William Shatner. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, those trailers over there are like, that's Lindsay Lohan's trailer. That's they're like, oh, my God, look, 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 look. And like William Shatner's like leaning out of his trailer. I'm just like, this is insane. <laughs> um, at one point he got into like, I'm not a car guy, but like he got it. I can tell when something's expensive, Sean. <laughs> and he got into quite an expensive car. Mm-hmm. But at this uh, point, you you know you've been around plenty of famous people. Whether it was oh yeah sure yeah yeah I, I didn't give a shit. I was just like oh wow TBS, that's so neat yeah movie sets, and then of course you spent some time with uh, the WWE. Yes. And, uh, let me let me just go into this in case you missed it uh, in my Twitter feed. Uh, since we just had South by Southwest back in person, Stephanie McMahon was part of it this year. And there was a tweet where she was praising the brand's storytelling. And so (laughs) since you were a writer for the WD, my first question is, were there comedy, were there comedians part of WWE before you, or were you part of like a new, a new Um, innovative effort where the WWE was trying to get more into comedy because now Obviously, John yeah. Cena and so many wrestlers are doing broad mainstream comedy now. Uh, oh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, uh, Patrice wrote at WWE for like a little bit. Um, O'Neill. Oh, um, yeah. I had no and idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, he did. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the way the story goes, he said Stephanie fired him. Stephanie was the one who fired him. And like, she was trying to make a bigger deal out of it than like, he was like, she's like, she's like, okay, well, you're, you know, you're fired. And he's like, okay. She's like, no, you don't understand. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I don't, I don't give a shit. Like I'll yeah, go Patrice, Patrice did not care about bridges burnt. No, no. But he's also like, He's like, who cares? Who cares that I'm fired from WWE? You know, <laughs> um, but even like my boss, who was the the head writer there for many years, Brian Gewertz, came from uh, the sitcom world. Okay. Um, and so my when I got brought in, they were specifically looking for uh, a comedy writer. They were looking for. Um, somebody from the TV world, from the comedy community. Were you required to be a big fan or have a lot of knowledge about? No, it helps, but no, they, they, they were more interested in someone with uh, experience uh, with uh, TV writing. 
Okay. Uh, they were more because like they've brought in people, writers who um, come from like the soap opera world with no, no prior knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and which is, you know, which is fine. I think that it's, there's in the wrestling fan community. And I think the wrestlers too, but you know, wrestler by and large wrestlers are fans as well. Um, there's this perception that the writers uh, are ruining WWE, uh, which is ludicrous because anybody who's worked on any TV show uh, knows that the showrunner runs the show, hence the name <laughs> showrunner. And the showrunner of WWE is Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anything that the writers write is for Vince McMahon to approve or not approve. Um, And my experience was Vince has a very uh, active hand in the creative process. Um, And my experience has also been if wrestling fans could watch the shows that the writers actually wrote and actually pitched to Vince, they would love the WWE writers. (laughs) <laughs> but the uh the job itself was well getting the job was they were reaching out to uh tv writers and that this is why i always tell people um be absolutely open and honest about what your interests are because this was also 2011 and you know it, Ooh, I'm a nerd was like, you know, definitely like at its apex then of like, mm. I'm into such nerdy stuff. Um, but like pro wrestling was, there was still a stigma of like, uh, well, you know, it's fake, right? You know, like all that shit. Right. Um, and I never had a problem being open and honest still about being a a wrestling fan of just owning my interests being like i love pro wrestling you know i i love you know videotapes i love uh you know bad movies i love uh laser i love all this stuff and when you're open about that stuff when opportunities come up people remember you know and so I remember the first TV writer who sent me the listing. They were like, oh, they're looking for comedy writers who like wrestling. And then after that, I must have gotten it seven or eight times from people. They were like, oh, have you seen this? Like, because everybody was like, this isn't for me, but I know the guy who would love to do this. You know, um, even just being open and honest about like, you know, I love having a big movie collection, a big video collection. Like people are like, you know, great. I don't want to, I don't know what to do with these videotapes. I'll give them to you. And I'm like, I will take them, you know? (laughs) Perfect. My plan is working. It's all coming together. You know, (laughs) like I got a bunch of, I should, I, I, I've been meeting to text Joe DeRosa. I'm like, I got a bunch of Nintendo games that like, I'm just eh, not a big video game guy, but I'm like, if there's anything here DeRosa needs, I know he's the guy to send him to, you mm-hmm. know? 
So that said, the job was, I was, you know, tasked with a lot of the, the comedy. Um, and with Vince McMahon, his idea of, of comedy is, you know, somebody getting their foot stuck in a bucket. Uh, that's, that's, you know, they're, they're, he's they're, seen the numbers slapstick. You know, I have numbers, you know, <laughs> crotch shots, foot stuck in buckets. I have numbers. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Um, meanwhile, they're on the internet being like, we're the outsiders. Everyone else is from New York or LA. And I'm like, fuck, you're telling me, you're telling me what the budget was on your commercial. I'm like, we went to Kinko's. That was our budget. <laughs> WWE has a bigger budget, but you're, True. you're commuting to Connecticut for this. Uh, I was. I was living in New York, taking the Metro North to Stanford. Um, did did you ever get to travel? Yeah. So I, I was I was on the home team in Stanford for a few months. Mm-hmm. And then I got um, basically promoted to being on the road um, and worked hand in hand, you know, with Vince, worked with, you know, I was typically with, typically... I was with the more humorous, you know, wrestlers like uh, like a Zack Ryder, um, who now wrestles under his real name Matt Cardona, who's killing it. Uh, he's 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 the type of guy that like just fucking loves pro wrestling, and there's nothing that can stop him from finding the best way to present his character. I, I'm just he. Getting fired was one of the best things that could have happened to him because it's just like he has tapped into his voice, this heel persona he's doing lately. It's just beautiful. Uh, so like worked with him a lot, worked with Santino Morella a lot, who was, you know, presented as a um, his character was like he was just a goofy guy from Italy. Mm. Uh, and he's like, my name is Santino Morella. But uh, when you talk to him, that's not his real accent. That was the thing. Like, <laughs> there were times, I didn't get starstruck so much. You know, you're meeting John Cena, you're meeting The Rock, or you meet, you know, like Roddy Piper, or like, oh. you know, all these people. Like, I would just be like, wow, I'm really excited to meet you. The, the only times I was just like, holy shit, was when I, when I first met The Big Show, because he's just, <laughs> Paul, he's so fucking big. I was just like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> um, he's the big shot. But the only other time was when I heard Santino talk in his regular voice. Like, I was just like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, like, this is truly, like, my brain can't compute seeing this face talking with just this, this yeah, you know. It would be know. like hearing Emo Phillips talk differently. Right. It was it was exactly like I opened for Gilbert Godfrey once at Caroline. Oh yeah, Gilbert. Yeah, I've talked to Gilbert in, in his voice, and I was like, "Holy!" Because sh-. he's just it's the same thing. He's just like, I was like, "Hey, I, I'm Matt. I'm going to be opening up the show. Don't you see anything? You want? Yeah, you know, you can say whatever you want. I don't know." And I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. So having you know having worked on TV and movie sets before joining the WWE. You had some idea of how the sausage gets made. Did being a wrestling fan and then being on the inside, did that change? Uh, It it only changed me in making me a bigger fan. 
And a lot of the writers that I work with, uh, that core group of guys are still there um, uh, with one or two exceptions. But, and they'll often say to me, Matt, you're the only ex writer who's still a fan of pro wrestling. Usually, <laughs> like, they move on and they're like, fuck this forever. Um, it made me a bigger fan because I understood everything then. Like, and, and particularly with WWE. Because anytime anything didn't make sense or storyline was dropped or like a joke didn't land or there, there was some clunkiness, I was like, oh, I, I understand how it works behind the curtain. So mm-hmm. now when the things that didn't make sense to me on screen make more sense to me now. And it made me appreciate how much more um, like the work that goes into it. Um, it doesn't mean I'm like when I watch raw like this past Monday and I'm just like, Oh my God, the Seth Rollins storyline is the drizzling shits. Um, <laughs> but I understand why it's happening because Vince McMahon is Vince McMahon, you know? Right. It's like watching Saturday night live after you know, some writers or you've guest written on the show and you're like, Oh yeah, I could see why this right. needed to air and I can see why this is totally bombing, but it, yeah. but there was no way Lauren was going to cut it. Right. Yeah, no, no, of course. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. It's funny, too. When I, I shot a pilot um, for some show, some some Nickelodeon, like, spinoff channel. I don't even know if it still exists. Like, Hugh Fink was one of the uh, uh, producers on it. And all he wanted to talk to me about was uh, Vince. Because he was like, Matt, I wrote at SNL when Dwayne Johnson first hosted and he was like when we did the the lorn meeting vince came in and took over the meeting and suddenly we were like pitching ideas to vince and vince was the one giving us feedback he's like we'd never like all of us were looking around like no one has ever out alphaed lorn before and i just was beside my i was dead laughing because also if you watch that episode it's not The Rock who says live from New York it's Saturday night. It's not one of the cast members. It's not one of the wrestlers who like showed up in the... It's Vince. <laughs> Vince McMahon is the one who says live from New York. I mean, it's just the greatest. Yeah, they they are kind of similar. Like Vince and Lauren are... Very. Kind of, very similar. Yeah. And I guess it it would make sense that Vince would be Lauren on steroids. Right. It's like Vince, <laughs> Trump, like it's this, this, you know, insecure alpha male like thing where it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's true. It's been said before, like if Trump were a little bit smarter, a little bit more charismatic, a little smoother with people, like he would be, he'd be Vince, you know? Uh, but yeah, but being in the inside, it was like, and having had a lot of production experience, I know like Rene Gauthier said this to me and I was like, you're absolutely right. There's so many things that could be done better just production wise, but WWE refuses to do it because this is the way we do it. And it's like, but you're wasting so much fucking time doing it the way you do it. It's just, this is not how it's done in the real world. You right. know, 
but Vince is Vince and Vince has to have it his way. <laughs> you could do more things pre-tape and, and really solidify them. And Well, it could be a better show. It could right. be a, a more enjoyable product to watch. But <laughs> Vince, you know, some people have to be difficult. And Vince McMahon is somebody who, as smart as he is and as good as he has been at his job, he just gets in his own way. And surrounds himself with people who tell him, you know, that the emperor's new clothes are gorgeous. Well, something you do have complete control over is your TikTok account. <laughs> That's true. I do. No one. <laughs> there's no. There's no flares here. There's no Bischoffs here. Nobody can tell me what to do. I follow you on TikTok, and I enjoy just the the idea that you can show off a completely different side of yourself while still being funny. How did you decide that, that you wanted to have a TikTok presence that was just about your being a film buff and a film collector of all different physical media formats? Uh, a bit, uh, because it was the easiest thing to do. It was the least amount of effort. Um, I could just say here look at this that i have you know ask ask me if there's a movie that i have and i'll see if i can get it and but like but do it in a like there's always an idea there's always i don't know where they come from but it is like it, it it's i was saying this to glance the other day i was like if i get a a rundown for a commercial and uh, or any audition, if I get a rundown in an audition, and if I read it once and I get it, you know, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what this is supposed to be. Or I can, if I can visualize it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to book this thing. Uh, and nine times out of ten, I do. And with the the asking people to name a movie, if I see the name of a movie, and if I, in, in that moment, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what would be funny of presenting this or just the way that the person asked the question mm -hmm. or I'm like, Oh, then that's what I want to do. I'm just, I'm not trying to God bless them. But there are some people, <laughs> this was true on vine and it's true on TikTok, where I'm like, the amount of effort that you put into this is, you know, commendable, but also I'm just like, what the, like this is all you did all day you know like which fine you know more i don't know if you're making money off of it great but i don't have the fucking energy or desire to like spend you know if i i just want to do something funny in the moment because that's what tiktok is it's so it's just there and then it's gone you know it's very much the way like it's like I'm a big deadhead. It's very much the way like Jerry Garcia approached music. That's why like every dead show is different. He's like, he wants to make art that exists once and then, you know, is gone. It's very much that, you know, the sand art that monks do. Or um, I remember hearing about an artist uh, like she did her art on bananas because she knew that eventually the banana would rot and it would be gone. You know, there's just I love that idea of 
you know, this doesn't need to be permanent or precious. You know, there's, there's a, an excitement about moving forward or finding something different. You know, I think that's what I like about, you know, getting to do scenes differently or like, especially with stand up. I'm like, you know, I like, I'm much more, I like the idea of having the act to, to rely on when I can't think of something else to talk about, but like, I much more am, I enjoy, you know, in having a dialogue with the audience and not mm-hmm. just like a monologue of reciting. These are the jokes and this is the order they go in. Um, so like with TikTok, there is a, I mean, there is a permanence to it because it's like you post it and there's, it's there forever, but it's just like the idea of, this is the thing for right now. And now what's the next thing going to be? And I, and I, and I, there's just so much to work from. It's just like, here's this movie. Here's this laser disc. Like this thing's crazy or like a funny way of, of getting there right. because there's a lot of, uh, I, I am just a mark for looking at people's collections. And I love that on TikTok, there's like people like if, if anybody has like a VHS collection, I'm like, Oh, I'll fucking follow them. What do I, what do you have? Oh my God, look at that. I love that. But there is a dryness to, you know, like they're just like, here, here's a um I can't even pull it out. I got so much stuff in here. Here's here's a laser disc of the continuing adventures of the Rolling Stones. You know? Whereas if I gave it three seconds of thought, I would, you know, maybe do like a Keith Richards or something and be like, uh, you know, when we tape this, we were in the uh, Liverpool, even though we ain't from Liverpool, and that type of thing. I love this. This was from this has a tick a a label on it. The video store, Santa Rosa, California. It's like I just love that. I what was that place like? I miss video stores, and so I've basically built one in this office here. But like, that's the shit that I love. Right. What is it you 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 mentioned about? Jerry Garcia and the art just exists and then it's gone. What is it? What do you think it says about you that you've gone to such great lengths to collect all of as much art as possible? Well, I, so that it does exist still somewhere. uh, Yes. And, and that's, that's the, that's the paradox about the grateful dead because almost every show has been documented, but I think what I enjoy is the, um, there's something about the exploration. There's always something else, you know, like I've recently really gotten into the, um, the director, Lynn Ramsey. Um, she's incredible. And she's the type of filmmaker that you can watch her movies um, multiple times and find different things or like, but, but she's only got about like six movies. So I have one left that I haven't watched yet. And I'm just kind of like, waiting on it it's just so i have something to look forward to mm. but like like with like a david lynch uh it's it's always different every time you watch it no matter how big or small his body of work is it's just like you know there is something to discover um that's what i love there's always something to discover there's always a grateful dead show i haven't heard or if i hear it again it's different um it's part of what I love about pro wrestling because there's always, there's too much of it. There's always something to discover. Um, or like, I love collecting. They, they basically 
rerun the same things, but the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, I just love the 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 sheer volume of it. That there's always something to discover, or just like just peeking into what the world was like at that time. I love that, and that's it's part of what I love about uh, collecting videotapes, especially like you know, just like blanks with you know either labels or no labels on them because it's just like what's on this tape right the ones where yeah they you just you just ask people to pick a number and then you go through the the files and you're like you have no idea what's on this tape right (laughs) you're putting it in going i got it at a garage sale somewhere i have no idea right yeah somebody filming their kid's school play and then it shifts into part of dr Zhivago, and then yeah yeah Dude, I, 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 I literally found a tape. I should post this. I meant to post it. Um, it's the label just says Dr. Trivago. Um, and it is, and I was like, cause I also all trade tapes with other people like who like make mixes and stuff. And I'm like, I got a lot of blanks. I'll send you this many and just mm-hmm. make me a copy of whatever you're, you're making. And also freeze up some room in here. Cause it's, you know, <laughs> I'm going through my comic books now because I'm like, there's definitely, you know, I don't need this many boxes of comic books. I can thin out like, what do I want to keep? What do I want to sell? And what do I want to just leave at the Salvation Army? You mm-hmm. deal with it. Um, but there is something. So this tape was, it just said Dr. Zhivago. And I was like, I've got that on DVD. You know, I, do I need a crappy copy of it? So I put it in just to check. You got to check. Got to check. And it is Dr. Zhivago taped from like, you know, the, the, the Saturday afternoon movie. And it's got that like, the Saturday afternoon movie doctor. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is take the DVD and throw it in the garbage can. I, this is, this is the way I want to watch it. It's just like, it's so fun to just have the experience that is, you know, that you just can't have you can't have that type of experience you know flipping around on you know your fire stick or your roku or whatever um i have one tape that i watched the whole thing it's it said the the label said wizard of oz wizard with two z's uh nobody nobody beats the wizard of oz nobody beats the wizard of oz (laughs) and it is uh, it picks up right when she's about to meet the scarecrow to the end of the movie. And somebody taped it when they used to show it on CBS, you know, on like right. Easter weekend or, or Thanksgiving or one or of those, Thanksgiving, yeah. whatever. And then after that, it's just an episode of Remington steel, mm. which I've never watched an episode of Remington steel in my life. It was, it was quite charming. Um, what else was on that tape? I wrote it down. I always write it down because, uh, you know, you got to figure out what's um, what's next. Oh, my God. It was about 40 minutes of a made-for-TV movie called A Matter of Justice starring Patty Duke and Martin Sheen. Ooh. And then at the very end was this late-night, like, overnight syndicated movie show called the movie greats network where they would just show um public domain movies and it was this movie called girls at sea from like the 40s or 50s and like the these 
women are stowaways on like a Navy ship and then hilarity ensues. And I think it's a musical too. When I think of movie greats, I think of girls at sea. Girls it's got a great opening number where like over the credits, just like girls at sea, girls at sea. And I'm like, this is the crappiest, but it's got all the commercials and like mm-hmm. you get like the news break-ins and stuff. I mean, my buddy, Chris Corbin, a uh, great improviser. He, lent me a a videotape of his to make a copy of it's he was just taping saturday morning cartoons randomly one saturday and the news broke in uh about the protests at tiananmen square and that the tanks were rolling in and stuff like you're in the middle of watching muppet babies and then suddenly it's just you know tom brokaw like the situation in tiananmen square is developing which um, which then you ima- imagine that situation like how many kids in the country were watching cartoons and then at some point mom and dad come in the room to be like oh my god this guy's gonna get hit by a tank all this shit it's like the i it makes me think of the story you know thanksgiving weekend after kennedy had been killed my mother and her sister are in the kitchen like making breakfast my father's watching tv and saw Oswald got shot, you know, and, and as the story goes, he was like, he was like, oh, my God, they shot him. They shot him. And my mother and Aunt Karen were like, yeah, we know they shot the president. He's like, no, someone shot Oswald. <laughs> They're like, what? It's just uh, so I, I don't we, we got off on a tangent, but it's yeah. like there's having all these movies. There's always something new to discover, you know, even if I already have it or have seen it. It's just this. Speaking of new things to discover, how we roll. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's let's close on a more uplifting note. So how we roll on CBS, you know, this means that 15 years after that summer in the East Village where you and Pete are both finding your way in an uncertain future, you're now back working again. And this isn't the first or second or third time you worked together because, of course, you guys worked together you were doing sketches and and pete was doing warm-up for conan and then and then pete got his own show and you and him and oren were all working together on that yeah so how does it feel to once again be reunited with pete on this even bigger project um it's 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 i don't know what the words are it's nice. I'm I'm at a place in my life where um, this all came at the right time. Because um, even, I mean, it was like, you know, because like, Pete, it, you know, Pete isn't running this show. You know, it was very much um, like, they wanted recommendations of who are some funny people that you are comfortable working with. Um, Because the idea is the show is set in a bowling alley and they're like, you know, we can make it like cheers, but in a bowling alley, like some regulars, you know, right. Who's the Norman cliff. Yeah, exactly. And so I got an audition, you know, Pete's like, Oh, you should look at this one guy. You know, we've worked together before. Um, But anybody who's ever especially with you know like broadcast tv network tv 
um, you know, it, it takes a lot more than just one person being like, even the star of the show. I mean, you, you think about the story of like 30 Rock, you know, like that was supposed to be Rachel Dratch starring in that show. Right. You know, she was even in a lot of the first episode. Yeah. And like Tina, pilot, it's, yeah. it's like Tina's show, you know, she runs it, writes it like stars in it. Um, and still it was like, no, no, she's, you know, the network or whoever, or it's just like, there are so many things to go. Cause even when I like did the pilot presentation and for whatever reason, when the audition came in, I didn't even know Pete was involved until, um, uh, I got the call sheet, you know, um, because again, he's not going to mention anything because he knows very well, like it doesn't mean anything like, okay, we'll, we'll give this guy an audition. Um, which there's a, I, I can feel, you know, very grateful for that because I still had to get the job myself, you know? Um, and for whatever reason, when the audition came in and again, this is, you know, pandemic, you know, this is in 2021. Um, so that's to say taping it at home and which is, can be uncomfortable, but sometimes it can be good. And for whatever reason, when that audition came in, I was like, you know what? There was something in, in my head that was like, try as hard as you can on this one. And like, I ran the lines with Glennis and like, I put on like, and, and it was for a different part too. And I put on like a suit coat and was just like, you know, let's do it more. Cause typically I'd, I'd shoot it once and be like, Ah, fuck it good enough <laughs> you know this is stupid mm-hmm. you know very very full of you know just i don't know just laziness but also just like self-condemnation um but this one i was like and glennis is a great you know scene partner and she's a great director and just like ran the scene back and forth and like in co- like taking her input um and i was just like whether i book this job or not i am so happy that i did the best i like all i wanted was to just do a good audition you know and i was so like you know what if if they don't take me it's out of my hands because i fucking nailed it i did exactly the best job i could and then that was my attitude going into the pilot. I was like, you know what? This thing's not going to get picked up. I don't care. I have one line. I just want to do the best job I can with the line, you know? And I was, I, I, there are times when I'm not always this guy, but there are times when I can take a line and make it funnier than it is. Um, and this was a time when I was able to do that. And I was just really grateful that, you know, I was able to do what I set out to do. And then the thing fucking went to series. And I was just like, this is insane. This is, doesn't make sense. And still trying to keep that frame of mind of like, all right, I just want to be a worker among workers and do this job and do the best I can with it. Um, and it's been such a great experience. And then being with Pete again is, it does feel like this full circle moment because 
there was a time where I never wanted to see him again. You know, like I had a negative experience working on the talk show and I didn't really feel like a part of things. It was confusing. It was just, there were times though, like when we did the psychiatrist sketches or like, especially like the, the ones where we're going to like the heaven's gate or like, God, when, when him and I did the parody of um, true detective, those were moments when it was like, I felt connected with him again. It didn't feel like we were on TV. It just felt like we were being funny and felt like we were roommates again. And I don't know. So then after the, the, the TV, sh- the, the talk show wrapped, I was like, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, and crashing was like in development and I didn't know what crashing was or what it was going to become. But I, I know that I probably would have been a part of it, but I, I explicitly said to him, I was just like, I just don't, you know, I just don't want to work with you on anything ever again. I just am not, you know, I don't know. I was just like, I was, uh, but I, I need to be clear that like, I was in a bad place. Like I was in a very, I was heading towards uh, a brick wall of a lot of self-destructive behavior that finally, you know, thankfully uh, I was able to pull myself out of with the help of uh, a lot of amazing people. But I just, um, it's really, it's strange, you know, it's uh, being on this show now with him and just, I don't know. It's, it's just, I'm in such a, a different place and I feel like he is too. Um, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but it's just there, there, there are times, and especially even like shooting this fucking, you know, we're all like vaccinated and stuff, but it's like shooting this thing, like still in a pandemic and like, we're not really supposed to, be around each other in between stuff but like lots of times him and i will just like i'll go up to his room and we'll sit and we'll talk and like have like really i don't know (sighs) it's just good quality time you know i don't know it's uh it's not lost on me what a what a great uh gift i've been given that's for sure plus it's just fun Everyone is fun to be around. This is not a... Uh, the rest of the cast is amazing. They're great people. The crew is amazing. The showrunner, Mark, is amazing. The, the, uh, most of the time, our director, Mark, uh, who's there more times than not, is amazing. I mean, it's like... Um, I, put it this way, at the rap party, I was talking to... And it's like, literally the first time I'm seeing people, like, I'm like, wait, are you are you so-and-so? Cause I only know people with their masks on. Right. It's literally the first time I've seen their whole face, you know? <laughs> um, and like people who have been in the business for like 30 years, these crew members are like, this is like one of the best experiences we've had talking to like a PA who it's her first job. And she's like, people keep telling me like, don't get used to this. Not every job is going to be like this, but it's 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 a great experience hopefully you know look if people like the show great if they don't uh, i am very satisfied with 
the work that I've done and I'm just, you know, excited to see what's, what's going to happen. Well, that's how we roll. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Well, I was, I was going to say before that blurted out of my mouth, no matter whether, whether how we roll lasts only one season or whether it goes for 10 seasons, yeah. You still have this experience. You still right. got to have this experience that I, can't be, be taken away from you. It, no, it is that thing of like, you know, if if nobody likes it and gets canceled, I'm like, I cannot. It's I'm incapable of feeling disappointed about the experience because it was so fun and like doing this character and figuring out who this character is. And it's funny, like, because it's like we're like a mid-season deal so it was like there's 11 episodes and i'm i got to perform in 10 and it wasn't it truly wasn't until the last episode that i it really like it really clicked in my head of oh this is who this guy is this is how i do carl um because the rest of the time i was just being I don't know, me or an extension of me or just being funny. Um, but there were, there were, there's like two scenes I got to be in, in the, the last episode in this season finale where I'm like, Oh, it all complete. Like there's just something. I'm a kid who always made faces in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, but whether I, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, that's that's great training for comedic acting, but also what I remember because because I'm just trying to get laughs at school. Right. And I remember being like. Knowing what the face looked like, but also remembering in my head how it felt making that face. So I knew what face I was making. Um, and that's the way I felt about doing Carl in the season finale. I was like. Oh, I know what, how I physically feel when I make, I'm sure that this is, I've never, I've never taken an acting class. I don't know. I don't, it's so funny being around like really great actors on this Mm -hmm. show too. Like, like, uh, like Julie White has won a Tony and like watching her perform. I'm like, Oh fuck. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But you were trained by Owen Burke. So. Hey man. You know exactly what you're doing. And if, and if, and if I can do that, mm-hmm. then what else can I do? And the, and the beauty, uh, you know, as I've covered more television as a journalist, I've realized, you know, the beauty of a lot of sitcoms is they, most of them don't really find themselves until season two. It's funny. I, I have been thinking a lot about, um, like, say, like Michael Richards on Seinfeld. If you mm-hmm. watch those early like that first season for sure uh but like those early episodes it's a kramer's a totally different character he's like got you know uh, five o'clock shadow he's wearing a bathrobe he's just kind of like oh yeah what are you gonna it's almost like he's doing like jim ignatowski on taxi you know maybe he was maybe he was you know but it's it's funny seeing people find that character even like I've been thinking mostly about um, John Ratzenberger doing Cliff Clavin and how 
like he wasn't a part of the cast until like season three or four, maybe. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to you go know? back and f- watch that again now. Like he's still like, you know, co-star and credits, you know, but like he had like he. That character going from just the bar know-it-all to then like that cliff, like that loser character of like Mm. but like having that bravado and you know but still being you know just and and then by the end of the series you're just you're almost like cliffy are you okay you know it's just like it's it's like the what he almost becoming like this conspiracy nut Mm -hmm. um so yeah so like there's that i mean it's but yeah there a, a lot of shows it's like you don't they don't find it for for a little while but it's like that's a luxury to be able to like have time to uh to 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 find it you know even like fraser you think about that character where it started like that was such a dry like almost exposition riddled character just and then it became literally one of the most successful tv characters of all time you know Right, and just started out, who seems the antithesis of Sam Malone? Right. And then he becomes this, you know, almost, you know, and he he stole so many mannerisms from Jack Benny that it just, like, worked so well for that character because it's like, because that's what Jack Benny said. He was like, um, if your character is strong enough, you can get laughs without saying anything because the audience knows the character so well they're laughing at watching the character think you know they can get laughs by just thinking because you know you're like oh god here it comes you know it's that that's that's incredible to think of you know performances like that and like Frazier particularly the way Kelsey Grammer would do that he would get lots of laughs just on like you know doing takes of just you know absorbing what some wacky character had said to him or whatever. Well, Matt, it's been a luxury to be able to catch up with you and talk for this long. I mean, I wasn't expecting to have you for more than a half an hour, let alone an hour and a half. So I, I appreciate the time and yeah. And one McCarthy to another, even if we're not connected on ancestry.com. Uh, it is a thrill to see you on screen, whether it's for 30 seconds at a time or for 22 minutes at a time. We'll see how it rolls. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Print it. Cut. <laughs> What's great is I, I hate that we're in a time for a lot of reasons where physical media is on its way out, if not already out, because I'm, I'm, I'm just, just, this just occurred to me. Um, the behind the scenes, like, chunk like the the making of how we roll like Mm -hmm. it's got to start with you know so this is how we roll and then it starts with like (laughs) like the like literally like the camera rolling (laughs) Uh, anyway (laughs) anyway thank you so much for doing this i really thank you good to see you and uh yeah i'll see you around i'll see you around campus
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.